Welcome to Cases and Controversies, a legal podcast by Bloomberg Law. I'm Jordan Rubin. And I'm Kimberly Robinson. So, Kimberly, it's the last week of May in our end-of-term grind here. We're about to head into June. We're finally chipping away at those opinions. How are you feeling? Feeling pretty good. Yeah? You want to just dive in here into this week's orders? Yes. All right. So, first, we had a procurium opinion on the orders list, Box Against Planned Parenthood of Indiana and Kentucky. So, Kimberly, what's going on in that case? Yeah, so this was in uh, a petition that had been hanging out on the court's docket for quite a while. Um, this is one of two, actually, Box versus Planned Parenthood cases that the that the court has um, in front of it right now, another challenging another Indiana abortion provision. But this case dealt with two. The Seventh Circuit had invalidated both a provision that specified how fetal remains could be disposed of and also prohibited abortions on the basis of sex, race, or potential disability. So the Seventh Circuit had invalidated both of those. What the Supreme Court did this week in an unsigned opinion, in a, what's known as a per curiam opinion, was to reverse the Seventh Circuit's ruling with regard to the fetal remains aspect of the law. And it said that the lower court had applied the wrong standard, and it was um, sure to emphasize that the claim was not that this law had any kind of barrier to abortions and so really didn't implicate abortions. And that really what we're talking about is the application of a rational basis standard. That is, the state has to have some rational basis for enacting this law. And that's usually a deferential standard. And the Supreme Court said that, you know, the Seventh Circuit wasn't deferential enough. Um, The other thing that they did was they refused to take up the second part. um, That is the part of the law that prohibits abortion based on sex or race or potential potential disability. And they said the reason that they were refusing to hear the case right now was that, you know, the Seventh Circuit was the only court to have considered such a law, and it was waiting for the issue to kind of percolate in the lower courts. So that's what the unsigned opinion um, said. And we got a, a brief note from Justice Sotomayor that she would have denied both of these petitions. So she would have allowed or she would have prevented the fetal remains portion to go into effect. And then a really lengthy concurrence by Justice Thomas, which I think we can chat about a little bit more. And then Justice Ginsburg dissented as to the fetal remains portion of the law as well. Kimberly, in some ways, right, this is sort of a, a narrow compromise type ruling, right? But what is it? You know, we have a lot of abortion stuff that's going to be coming to the court. What does this box case mean for these cases going forward? Well, you know, the fact that the court issued a procurium opinion um, and we only have, you know, kind of the noted dissents of two justices does really suggest that perhaps this was, you know, agreement by seven justices um, in a seven to two decision that you know, suggests that they might be more willing to compromise, especially Breyer and Kagan and possibly the chief, um, to find these more narrow ways to deal with abortion so they don't have to really deal with the explosive, you know, should we overrule Roe versus Wade. But of course, that's all speculation. Even that seven to two vote is speculation, as we learned in the death penalty cases, which we talked about a couple weeks ago, in that, you know, not every justice 
has to note their dissent. And that actually happened in one of those death penalty cases where Justice Alito um, said a couple weeks later that he did not agree with you know, the court's decision, even though he hadn't noted his dissent at that time. So, you know, we're really just speculating here right. um, as to what it could mean. But you're right that there are other abortion provisions waiting at the court. I think most significantly is this petition about Louisiana abortions, which deals with a law that was really based on a Texas law that was invalidated by the Supreme Court a couple terms ago. And, you know, the Supreme Court stayed uh, a Fifth Circuit decision that had upheld that law. Um, kind of seems like now the Supreme Court has to weigh in at yeah. some point. But, you know, that response is not due until what's scheduled to be the last day of the Supreme Court's term. And so it's likely we won't hear anything about that until next term, probably not until the October 1st conference. So Okay, so it could be another big case that'll be added on next term, which is already going to be kind of a heated one, it seems. Yeah, it certainly does. Great, great timing for an election year. Yeah. Although exactly. I guess they won't have a lot of these decisions out. It'll just be right. that they're on Something the docket. Something to talk about, though, yeah. for the candidates. So we referenced this uh, Justice Thomas concurrence. We want to talk a little bit more about that. Yeah. I mentioned that it was 20 pages. It seemed like, um, let's see, I took some notes here on things that I wanted to talk about, uh, about Justice Thomas's um, opinion. And it's got abortion, Nazis, discrimination, and disparate impact. So, I mean, I think that kind of covers it. All the a great, a great concurrence. <laughs> um, I mean, you know, there's a there's a lot of um, pretty strong language in here about abortion. I don't think anything surprising for people who follow Justice Thomas. But, you know, I think its main purpose was to kind of map out uh, the way in which lower courts could um, kind of chip away at Roe versus Wade and and namely Casey without actually overruling it. And so we saw him discuss how this law banning abortions based on sex, race or disability are were not something that was specifically uh, considered in Casey. And so Casey doesn't speak to um, whether or not these laws are valid, whereas, you know, the Seventh Circuit, when they looked at this, they said, well, yes, of course, Casey clearly doesn't allow these kinds of laws. So I see it more of a, a roadmap, but definitely some interesting language and yeah. ideas in there. And it's a roadmap that no one else joins on the court, at least for now. Well, I don't think it was meant for the people on the court, maybe lower court judges. Yeah. You know, we we have seen some judges, um, you know, I mean, I, I'm thinking about this Louisiana abortion case mm -hmm. where if you read Whole Woman's Health, it's 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 hard to see how this Louisiana law can stand. Um, you have to read Whole Woman's Health as this case where the Supreme Court struck down the Texas law really, really narrowly, um, which is kind of what Thomas is advocating here for other abortion precedents. So we'll see if it if it sticks. And then Justice Ginsburg had a, a short opinion that sort of uh, rebuffed some of Justice Thomas's claims, or at least at least tried to. So we had them sort of duking it out in footnotes there, right? Well, yeah, of course, though, Justice Ginsburg's opinion is two pages, so right. it doesn't address a lot of what's in Justice Thomas's um, concurrence. But I do think, you know, the tone of these opinions is really following some some harsh tones that we've been seeing in other orders right. and even other opinions that, um, you know. Like we talked about the death penalty cases already. This is sort of a similar duel that we have. Yeah. You wonder if anything is underneath this, if, you know, it reflects a tone during conference or if it's just these particular issues are getting the justices particularly worked up. Worked up. All right. Well, um, we talked about the, how this case might come up at some point next term. Uh, in terms of, on the topic of next term, we got a grant 
Mm -hmm. on Monday. You want to tell us about that one? Well, sure. Well, this case um, will sound familiar to people who follow the court very closely, and that's because it's already been at the court. It is Hernandez versus Mesa. I know this involves a cross-border shooting, which... You know, the facts are really kind of straight out of a out of a law school exam. So Border Patrol agent Mesa was standing on the U.S. side of the border when he shot and killed a teenager who was on the Mexican side of the border. Importantly, the teen was a Mexican national. Mm -hmm. And the issue is whether or not um, Hernandez's family can sue Agent Mesa uh, for civil rights violations, uh, either under the Fourth or Fifth Amendment. And you know, it, it deals with these so-called Bivens actions, which, um, you know, a lot of people may not know that although there's a specific statute allowing people to sue state officials for violations of constitutional provisions or constitutional rights, there's not a similar statute to sue federal officials. So the Supreme Court in a case called Bivens said, you know, there was an implied right. And um, since that time, the court's really been cutting back on that. And so this is this is, you know, a continuation in perhaps the continual cutting back on that, but we'll see. Yeah, and um, they limited the grant to that question, right, about the Bivens question, so maybe that suggests that the court is looking to to cut back on that. Exactly. We'll just have to see. Yeah, we'll just have to see. Um, this was a case that I expected the justices to grant because um, there was a Ninth Circuit case that came out, um, you know, while this court was playing out on reband um, that went counter to what the Fifth Circuit did in this Hernandez case. So there's a direct split um, on the issue. And, um, yeah, and the Solicitor General recommended um, that they take this case. So not a surprising grant, but an interesting one. All right. So next term's pretty much loaded already. Um, in terms of this term, we still got some good ones, good opinions to talk about uh, from Monday, like the Home Depot case. And this is still on the on the Justice Thomas subject. Um, he was duking it out with Justice Ginsburg, but then uh, Justice Thomas joined Justice Ginsburg and the, the rest of the liberal bloc. Actually, he was writing for them, and they joined him in this 5-4 case on class actions. Can you Talk a little bit about that one. Right. Uh, yeah. So Home Depot versus Jackson is um, a 5-4 decision with Thomas joining the court's more liberal justices in what is a consumer-friendly opinion. And what's at issue here is the a removal of a class action from state court to federal court. I think very generally um, plaintiffs in class actions tend to want to be in state courts, whereas defendants want to be in federal court. And uh, Congress made it easier uh, to get these cases into federal court under the Class Action Fairness Act. Um, but what was at issue here was actually not a defendant um, or a traditional defendant as we know them, but uh, it was somebody who was brought in as a defendant in a counterclaim. And the Supreme Court said those defendants can't remove uh, class actions to federal court. So um, pretty interesting split, I think, um, with Justice Thomas joining the more liberal justices, although it seems to follow sort of a pattern yeah. uh, this term. So we've had 10 5-4 uh, decisions or their equivalent so far. There was one 5-3 to three decision um, before Kavanaugh was able to join the court. Um, and we've seen, you know, five 
almost six of those uh, go the way of the court's uh, more liberal block. And the deciding vote has really been cast by, let's see, we, we've got Thomas in this one. We had Kavanaugh um, and that Apple versus Pepper antitrust mm-hmm. um, matter. Uh, Gorsuch has crossed over twice in um, tribal cases. And then Roberts in a couple of um, criminal cases. Um, and one of those, Breyer, uh, also crossed over. So it's 5 4 um, with Roberts joining the liberals in dissent. But um, been interesting to see these breakdowns. Yeah, we've had one every week, right, <laughs> consecutively for like three weeks now. So got to see who it's going to be next week. Yeah. Although, I mean, you know, the other cases, the other four where the liberals were on the losing side have been, you know, some big ones, right? So Nielsen versus Preap on immigration. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So. Well, something to watch. I, I do expect us to be racking up some more 5-4 decisions as we get yeah, deeper still not into... Yeah, you know, it's still early, right? Right. So. Well, uh, that was one of three decisions that we got. We also got um, this Fane Lozman follow-up, right? Exactly, right. yeah. So uh, the case is Nieves against Bartlett. And this is an issue that the court's been wrestling with for a while, this issue of when someone gets arrested and then they want to sue the cops for a retaliatory arrest allegation. And so the court hasn't really known what to to do with that issue. Most recently, like you mentioned, Kimberly, it was uh, coming up in this Fane Lozman case, which is the, the SCOTUS uh, fan favorite who was arrested after uh, speaking out at a public meeting in, in Florida. And his case was at the court last term, and it was actually the second case that he personally had at the Supreme Court. Um, right. Unrelated. Um, well, yeah. sort of related, because they're all in yeah. beefs with the a different city. Ca- but, a different yeah. actual case, but yeah. sort of the same part of ongoing feud that he had with, I think it's the city of Riviera Beach or somewhere down there. And so, he Fane Lozman won his case last term, but the court didn't really address this broader question of the standard uh, that applies in these cases of when plaintiffs can succeed in suing the cops for retaliatory arrest. Basically, the court kind of just noted how Lozman's case was so sort of extraordinary that they could rule in his favor without resolving this broader question. And so the issue came back to the court this term in this Uh, Bartlett case. And this one also stemmed from kind of a wild fact pattern at an event which uh, I know you like to go to, Kimberly, called Arctic Man in the remote hills of Alaska where 10,000 some crazy drunk people, as the Chief Justice basically said, (laughs) descend on this uh, poor village and terrorize it for some sort of winter sports festival <laughs> right so, as um as as we as the public information office hands out the opinions they actually have uh the opinion announcement from the courtrooms piping into the um into the press room and the chief justice made a joke that this um what is it the arctic man is the polar opposite of burning man oh which is that's cold <laughs> yours was funnier that's good but, that's a good burn yeah um, wow. All right. So double down. Yeah. yeah let me uh, gather myself here. So the what happened was <laughs> this was in 2014. And actually what happened was is not even clear because Bartlett and the cops who arrested him both tell differing versions of the events. No surprise there. Um, but basically the cops were going around and trying to tell some people to put their 
beer keg back into an RV because there were <laughs> miners around and the the guy Bartlett is there and the cops say that he's shouting and being aggressive trying to tell these people not to talk to the cops and then Bartlett's not talking to the cops and then uh, the cops are eventually arresting him after Bartlett gets in between one of the cops and a miner who Bartlett said uh, the cop shouldn't be talking to this minor without a parent or a guardian present. And so that's the gist of it. They would probably both tell that somewhat differently, but that's sort of a little different. Splits, huh? the different uh, splits the difference there in the facts. And so what everyone agrees on is that Bartlett was arrested and he was charged with disorderly conduct and resisting arrest. And the state uh, wound up dropping the charges against him. So he wasn't prosecuted for that. And then after that, he then went to sue the cops. But then there's this question of what does he actually need to show in order to succeed on this claim? And so in ruling against Bartlett, uh, Chief Justice Roberts wrote the opinion and said that because there was probable cause for Bartlett's arrest, then he cannot succeed on this First Amendment retaliatory arrest claim. Mm -hmm. And there was sort of a, you know, like I said before, this issue has been sort of plaguing the court and they're not really sure what to do with it. And that was sort of evident in the different bunch of opinions that we had here. Robert's opinion actually sparked four different ones, um, including from Justice Thomas, who uh, joined most of the majority opinion, but he didn't join the part of Robert's opinion where he sort of, uh, where Roberts carved out an exception for to this no probable cause requirement where uh, if a plaintiff can succeed, if, even if there is probable cause, if they show some sort of evidence that other people who were similarly situated were not arrested uh, in cases where, you know, this person was because they were speaking out in this way. And so like only if it's they're arresting Chinese laundromats. And yeah, the, yeah, exactly. Right. And so um, I think what was it? Gorsuch, who was talking about that kind of issue in his opinion, maybe. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, and Gorsuch was one of the people who did not join the, the majority. I'll just note the the breakdown here while I'm going through this. Who was it who joined Roberts? It was Breyer, Alito, Kagan, and Kavanaugh who joined Roberts in full, and Thomas joined except for the part about the exception to the rule that they carved out. And so Thomas wrote an opinion explaining why he doesn't think that this exception is legitimate. Gorsuch and Ginsburg wrote, both wrote separate partial dissenting opinions, and Sotomayor wrote a full dissenting opinion. And so, so what's the breakdown here? Eight one seven two six three five four four so, five. It depends on what you're asking about <laughs> here. Uh, for the most part, it's it's a it's a six three, but I guess it's a five. Well, it depends on what issue exactly. <laughs> um, Bartlett definitely lost. Uh, the rule now is that you need to show that there was an absence of probable cause if you're bringing this sort of retaliatory arrest claim unless you can show this type of evidence, which um, five justices anyway uh, said that you can succeed on this type of claim if you have it. It's not exactly clear how these claims are going to be proved mm -hmm. in terms of this exception that was carved out in the opinions. So that might be one of the next questions that this opinion sparks. So, you know, it might be something where in reality it might be difficult for for people to to show and Sotomayor got into that in her dissent a little bit in terms of how, you know, this might not be sort of something that's that's workable and she doubts that it really will be and that's why she was uh, dissenting saying they're giving short shrift to the First Amendment. So 
that's that case. It was interesting, though, in her dissent, she notes that the court was actually 8-1 with her um, on the question presented, which is whether or not, you know, it the probable cause will always, you know, be the deciding factor. Yeah. So it's kind of annoying when there are all these separate opinions where between the justices, they don't even agree on what the opinion says. Right. You know, and we're supposed to know what it says, but they don't even know what it says. <laughs> you know, between Sotomayor and Gorsuch, who who I think are very sort of, you know, of a similar mind in these types of cases, they're, you know, both sort of almost, you know, like shouting each other out in their respective opinions, even yeah. though they didn't join the other. But even there, there was sort of a disagreement about, you know, how broad this ruling is or is not. And so, um, you know, I guess we'll just look to the majority opinion if we want to see, you know, what the closest approximation to the law is now. And then the other opinions will just, you know, they're interesting to, to read. And so, you know, there'll probably be arguments that'll be citing, you know, either Gorsuch's opinion or Sotomayor's opinion or Thomas's opinion or whatever for whatever side they're going to argue in the next version of this case that that comes up. So they're still, you know, they they took a stab at least at resolving the actual issue, but it, it raised some more questions going forward. Now, if you stab someone, that I think is probable cause. That would probably bar your subsequent well, civil rights claim. objectively similarly situated people were not arrested for that, which would be very weird. Yeah. I think they should arrest people for stabbing people generally. I don't know. That might be hard. I haven't official, really uh, I haven't considered that really fully. We'll leave that question for another day. Okay. As the All justices right. say. Uh, but no, um, do not stab people. <laughs> I haven't considered official, that question. That's the official either. cases and controversies uh, <laughs> position. Hmm. Anyway. Um, well, so we have what? 31 more opinions to go. Is that right? 38 down, 31 more to go. Sounds about right. I'll take your word for it. A few more weeks to get them all done. Although somehow they always manage to get them out the door. So yeah. In time. I feel like this pace feels okay right now. And they got a special visitor this week to help uh, motivate them along. Oh. Yeah. The, uh, they welcomed back yeah. uh, Attorney General Barr. Oh, right. Um, they so told us that the morning of. Right. Um, so this is something that... Um, you know, they do as a matter of tradition where they'll welcome the attorney general. Blah, blah, back. Blah. Yeah. Well, back because yeah. Barr had previously been, you know, attorney general. So that was the chief's second joke of the day. Right. So. The, uh, yeah, the Arctic man one was a little better, but, you know, he's still warming up. <laughs> wow. You were on a roll with those puns. Yeah. Very punny. I'm hot. All right. Anyway, so... <laughs> Are we talking about this third and final opinion? Oh, oh, I, I forgot we had one. Yeah. <laughs> well, this is a very important opinion. Yes. Um, Best for last. It closes out our Berry Hill docket for the term. Woo! Ooh, I know. The People Berry asking, Hill. What is I the mean, Berry Hill docket? I mean, no, this goes without saying, of course, that Berry Hill is the acting commissioner of Social Security and has been in three um, Supreme Court cases this term. Um, you'll be happy to know or sad to know that the Social Security Administration is two in one. Um, and all right. Yeah, that's that might be all you need to know about this case. No, this this case is about what counts as a final decision to allow judicial review. Um, here they take a sort of expansive view of what counts and say, you know, courts generally can fix mistakes by um, the Social Security Administration. Um, one thing that's interesting to note about this is during this litigation, the 
Social Security Administration actually switched sides um, and and said that courts should be allowed to review um, these kinds of decisions where it had previously said they shouldn't. And so they appointed Deepak Gupta uh, to argue in support of the decision below. And one of the arguments... It's always fun when they do that. Yeah. Although usually it's somebody who hasn't argued at the court before. And of course, um, Gupta has, but... um, that's a different story. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, one of the arguments that Gupta made, which the court rejected, was that um, the, the court should defer to the administration's previous um, decision under Chevron. Um, and the court says that's kind of a curious situation to say we should defer to an agency who now has changed right. its mind. Well, they asked them to make the argument. I mean, right. what are they beating up on this guy for? <laughs> Well, anyway, the court said they didn't have to deal with that because Chevron doesn't apply here. Um, You know, it said we're talking about court's jurisdiction. That's not something that Congress um, would want to leave to an administrative agency. Um, And just interesting that they're kind of um, sort of like with the abortion cases, maybe, um, you know, looking at Chevron deference Mm -hmm. and these agency deference doctrines that are before the court right now um, and kind of maybe chipping away at them rather than overruling them outright. And we're still, that's one of the opinions we're still waiting on. Is that the, is. This deference case. Not Chevron deference, right. but other deference. Yeah. Kaiser. It's not Kaiser deference. It might be called that after the case. See what they do with it. <laughs> Calling it now. Just kidding. Probably delete this. <laughs> anyway. Okay. Did, did we did we get all of them? Yeah, it seems it feels like we got a good amount. I think well, I I felt like we had a good amount before we discussed the Berry Hill one. But yeah, I, I mean, you know me, I don't let these these Berry Hill cases go. Congrats, Berry Hill. Two and th- two and one is not a bad record in the Supreme Court. No, um, whoever you are, we salute you. All right, so um, we'll uh, no, you don't see listeners. We'll uh, <laughs> we'll we'll be. Uh, pretending to speak to you yeah yeah you'll be hearing us again uh it'll be june time for the you know the final few weeks of the term and let's see we're gonna get opinions next um this coming monday maybe 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 we may be getting opinions on monday june 3rd and then if we do um you know we'll be recapping them for you and you'll be getting a recap episode after that next week so as always thanks for listening thanks for listening Suspending the Rules is Bloomberg Government's weekly deep dive into what's happening on Capitol Hill. As is often the case with suspension bills, there's something of a theme behind them. Every Monday, BGov reporters and legislative analysts preview the week in Congress. This would be a rejection of what the Trump administration called for. And break down the biggest bills on the agenda. Autonomous vehicles are going to know everything about where we go and what we're doing. You can listen and subscribe to Suspending the Rules wherever you get your podcasts. Find more information at about.bgov.com.